0: Hi, I'm Professor Beck Straw.
1: And I'm Professor Eric Bronson, and you're listening to Prison Breakdown.
0: Two, three, break! Eat the spoil is fun, but we're gonna bust out of here. Two, three, break!
1: I'm locked in here with you. You're locked in here with me. Two,
0: three, break! I can honestly say I'm changing. Society here. God's honest truth. Two, three,
1: wait! I'm not leaving this cell. I'll get out my way. The right way. Two, three, wait!
0: Ahoy, dudes, and welcome back to Prison Breakdown. Ahoy, and welcome With to me.
1: Snowpocalypse. 2024 yes. in rhode island Eric, is give us great. the weather love it oh the campus is covered in all kinds of uh you know glorious snow here we gotta love it everything is shut down no schools today but it's all melting quick and you know it's it's not gonna last it's so disappointing so disappointing i, I love extreme weather it's just it's great and it's so too I. bad it's it, yeah. was, it was i love a know. walk in the snow yeah you don't you just don't care for the shoveling
0: <laughs> no 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 as, as uh as eric knows uh, my body has been broken today by extreme <laughs> shoveling
1: <laughs> extreme shoveling i love that extreme sho- did, we Did we a sport have... out of shoveling I... yeah did, did you get a tiktok of this
0: I, no, I think, but I bet you and I could out-shovel a lot of people. I, yeah. I think I, I want I want to be on your team for the Shovel <laughs> yeah. Olympics. Yeah, I, this is something
1: that we need to start up, extreme shoveling. And uh, I, I believe the way that we get that going is through social media and just, you know, longest toss,
0: right? I mean, oh, you, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Where you heave the snow off your blade. <clears throat> yeah. This so. is like that lumberjack Olympics that yes we used to have in Alaska. I don't know if it's a bigger thing. Is it?
1: I I don't know. I, it doesn't. Don't Canadians still do it where they climb up those poles and slide down? And you just wonder how they're not splintered up in their crotch? I don't,
2: yeah, they, they have uh, a lumberjack producer
0: Brit. Wayne yeah, yeah, they, they <laughs> have
2: one. Uh, I I want to say they have it on like an ESPN three or something every year, but they do like log rolling. Uh, they do like uh, 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 like wood chopping. They're just like lumberjacky lumberjack sports.
1: I think my favorite one of those is the one with where they actually have the chainsaw. Yeah, like
2: I, that to me. Just a
1: you know, it's kind of like uh, other motorsports. You're, <laughs> you're riding a motorcycle. The, the machine's doing all the work. You're just trying to hold on for dear life and split a log. <laughs>
0: Do you ever watch like those jugglers who juggle chainsaws and wonder how they got good at this in the first place? I, I think about that anytime I see somebody who's like very talented at doing something very dangerous, like like chainsaw juggling or like juggling stuff that's on fire. Yeah. yeah how? That, how? How did you get there? Right. That, that's a, an incredible <laughs> well, talent. What,
1: what was it that made you say, Hey, you know what? I need to step this up a notch. I'm gonna drop the tennis balls and grab you know you know, just going from that to bowling pins is a big step and then going from that to something that can kill you <laughs> you know blades and yeah chainsaws i don't i don't know and and how and do they it, figure out they awesome can do talent. that on top of a unicycle
0: <laughs> right talk about useless talents also, <laughs> also anyone you see on a unicycle like like every now and then you see the guy on a unicycle who's trying so hard to be interesting <laughs> that yeah they ride a unicycle i i can't deal with it Oh,
1: I, one of my advisors from Bowling Green. Um, he and his family. No, I, bu- I believe they were called the Flying Seas. I'll, I'll have to. I'll have to see if I can find that they. The whole family could ride unicycles, and I think that was part of the gig. Is that hey, look, it's us and our kids. Yeah, when I tell you <laughs> when when I tell you who later, you're you're gonna really. <laughs> I, I, I I never saw them in person. You know, um, even though you would you would associate, you know, circus and freak shows coming to Bowling Green, Ohio, to uh, to put on some kind of performance, uh, because you know we were we were the home of the National Tractor Tractor Pulling Championships each year, uh, but no, I I never saw them perform live, so I don't know if they <laughs> if they went around from carnival to carnival or circus to circus. I it just uh never never got around to seeing them in person.
0: Oh, that is interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's fun
2: stuff. Fun stuff. Now,
0: Producer Britt, do you know anyone who unicycles regularly?
2: Um, I have no less than two friends who unicycle regularly. <laughs> one of one yes. one of them actually has a um a viral video on YouTube of them playing uh the accordion. Playing the Visalda theme song on the accordion while unicycle. Is this
1: is this the, <laughs> the same one who who rides the unicycle dressed up as Darth Vader playing the Death March? No, on the accordion.
2: Not a different person entirely. Oh okay, no, wait, they do that. With, uh, they do that with
1: bagpipes. Never mind.
2: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah different person entirely. Also, the the co-host of uh, several of my other podcasts. Um, also unicycles and juggles, so uh, that's that's double the shame there. <laughs> uh, wow, um, what
0: what a talent! Uh, that's that's interesting. I had no idea that was a that was a thing. For uh, shout to Pat. Yes,
1: this is that's, That is this, wild. It's good stuff. Good stuff. Are, are we are we ready for a little news off the razor wire?
2: Bring it. Fresh news. Hot off the razor wire.
1: Fantastic. We've got some some interesting news. Kind of a landmark case relating to incarceration um, in a jail in Colorado. A woman sentenced to 30 years in prison for smuggling fentanyl into El Paso County jail, resulting in an inmate death. So, in Colorado Springs, um, a woman is facing nearly three decades behind bars for dealing fentanyl to a fellow inmate at the county jail, resulting in that fellow inmate's death. Katerina Gibson, who's 28, was sentenced last month to 28 years in prison for causing death by unlawful drug distribution, and another 18 months for introducing contraband. Gibson was arrested in March of 2023 after 44-year-old Renee Lawrence died in jail, an autopsy determined the cause of death was fentanyl intoxication. And the sheriff of the county launched an investigation into how Lawrence could have gotten her hands on the drugs. So they, they, uh, when they brought in Gibson, again, 28-year-old, she was the one who smuggled in the fentanyl, and it said, it says the quote, <laughs> the quote is that it was hidden deep inside her body. They don't mention how hmm. deep and, and where it was deep, but she passed through two body scans, a pat down search and a strip search before being processed into jail. Incredible. And once she got in there, she was able to retrieve the fentanyl and distribute it at the institution. And then her cellmate who used it died shortly after. So the the death occurred last in January, 2023. So this took a while for them to figure out what happened. They went back and looked at the scan, the two scans, and saw that there was an abnormality in terms of the scan. And then arrested her in in March. And then finally prosecuted her uh, towards the end of last year and they, she has just been sentenced to nearly 30 years uh, behind bars. And this is the first time we have a case where somebody uh, brought in fentanyl in an institution and another inmate died and they have been prosecuted for um, for dealing fentanyl. So, sure. I'm, I'm sure
0: people have done it plenty of times yes. before this. It's just, this is yes. the first time somebody has been caught, charged Right, prosecuted. Right to the full extent. Yeah.
1: So the the unlawful drug distribution um, and introducing contraband co- uh, connection between the two is 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 the new part, and that's what makes this such a landmark case. Um, I'm sure they're going to appeal, but I don't see this getting overturned or the sentence being changed in any way. Um, you know, we we see that you know um, judges and district attorneys really want to make sure uh, that uh, that they're laying down the law when it comes to, uh, to drugs and fentanyl. Um, so they're, they're trying to make sure that they punish people very harshly, which is, is interesting because, you know, that out here in terms of, you know, anything related to opiates, um, it's, Hey, we cannot arrest ourselves out of this problem that we really need to go to some type of rehabilitation. We need to work with these individuals. And then we still see, um, we still see you know cases like this where they're locking people up for long periods of time related to fentanyl so it's uh excuse me it's uh it's an interesting case and i'm sure there'll be more coming up soon and we'll have to work out how we're gonna how we're gonna look at this in the future because i thought we were going in the right direction with this when we were trying to You know, rehabilitate people or habilitate people, no matter which to call, just to try and get them the help that they need, rather than trying to arrest people and lock people up for long periods of time.
0: Yeah, I, I have a few thoughts on this. First, it being the first prosecution of its kind, as you said, it really seems like they're trying to make an example out of her, and that's why they're really throwing the book at this one inmate when it may not even be all that unique of a case. It's just unique that they're prosecuting her so they're, they're making an example of her trying to enact some kind of general deterrence the, the population sees this and they go oh i i don't want to smuggle in fence and all because then i could be prosecuted to this extent as well nobody wants to do 28 years for bringing in drugs second think think of the high level of risk that went into bringing this in in the first place like whether you're putting like a baggie, or you put it in a balloon and swallow it, or you're pocketing it somewhere in your body, it's if that bursts, you are not going to make it through another few minutes. It's 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 going to be pretty deadly if if you have a lot of uh, a lot of fentanyl just going right into your right in your body, boom. Yeah. So yeah. extreme risk that comes with that. Uh, one guy I saw in prison, one of the craziest incidents i had was he had he had swallowed a balloon with something some several drugs in it and the guy was like a a frankenstein just a big sweaty frankenstein uh, lumbering toward us and we had to deal with him then big lumbering dog pile I, i think that's how
1: my wife describes me (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that was your high school <laughs> nickname. That's <laughs> yeah. that's when, that's when that's my wife's nickname for me. But it's it's interesting. Uh, my my wife was a speech therapist in a in a hospital uh, for many years, and uh, one of her clients, her uh, patients that she had to see for for rehab, was an individual that had swallowed a balloon of cocaine that opened up in their stomach, and it. Really did a good job of frying this individual's uh, brain, and yeah, it you know that's a that's a tough case to work because there's just there's no you know trying to get to a point where you're improving an individual so that you know that they can eat that they can you know drink fluids without aspirating, um, and that that's that was the, her main goal is to try and work on that rather than trying to get somebody to be able to speak again. Um, it was, can they eat and can they drink, um, more than anything? So they take food, feeding tube out
0: that just, just like basic motor functions trying to rehabilitate that. That is wild. Yep. Yep. Sure is. It's awful. It's awful.
1: Well, that's all the news for today.
0: That's all the news we deserve. Okay.
1: Have we been naughty?
0: <laughs> <that>
1: you have. <laughs> <laughs> You've been a bad boy. <laughs> at at <it> point,
2: please. <laughs> are you sure? I
1: mean, well, we are going to New Orleans together, right? <laughs> <Yes>.
0: <laughs> one double bed for the Maybe three we can request. <laughs> one, we could get like a triple bunk bed for the three of us. That'd be cool. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: now, Eric, do you do you know what month it is? I
1: do believe it's still February. In fact, tomorrow, do you know I, what that means? Yeah, I think it's it still means it's Family February or February Family, or are we doing something related to <laughs> that ridiculous day that exists tomorrow because of Hallmark?
2: Family February.
1: I sense a new song coming on.
2: I'll, I'll, I'll just put some some reverb on your vocals, and you'll be happy. Don't worry. All right. Family yeah, February. I'll be very happy with that. Thank you. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are still in Family February. We are recording this on Tuesday, February 13th, the day before Valentine's Day. So what better time in our lives to talk about prison relationships with romantic partners?
1: i love it this is great what a perfect what a perfect topic for for this time of year
0: now eric do you know what the number one problem do you know what the number one reported problem is for formerly incarcerated persons after release
1: i would say it's probably being able to reunite with their
0: family no it was a trick question it's actually substance abuse problems number two is conflict with heterosexual partners Hmm. number two problem
1: i could see that one too (laughs) it's not nearly as exciting as all the problems with the you know drug addiction but yeah i guess we'll go with the reuniting with former partners right estranged partners is that what we can call them
0: i don't know because they're not necessarily estranged right estranged would tell me that they are not getting visitations and not not keeping up the relationship in some way. Instead, it's more like a long-distance relationship with, without any sexual contact or minimal sexual contact.
1: Right. Okay.
0: So we're going to start with a little article by Carcedo and colleagues from 2011 talking about heterosexual romantic relationships inside prison. And Carcedo and colleagues did these in-person interviews with 70 male and 70 female inmates at a penitentiary in Spain. And we know that most prisons around the world are segregated by sex, right? There's men's prisons and women's prisons. And there are also co-ed prisons where they will have wings for men, wings for women. Now, contact between male and female inmates is typically not allowed. We don't have like a, an inmate dance or any anything like that for people to unite.
1: That would be, what would be, so, you know, when to Catholic school and high school, but I know the Catholic schools for elementary school, when they would have like a sixth or seventh or eighth grade dance, the nuns would rotate around and they would tell the kiddos at the dance, make sure you leave enough space for Jesus. So that way, there was no body-to-body contact. So, what would be the rules at the inmate dance? <laughs> what, would, what would be? Are we telling them leave enough space for Jesus so that they can move around without getting their hips on each other?
0: Uh, yes, I I think that that would be rule number one. <laughs> now we know that some prisons in Europe actually have a setup, though, that allows male and female inmates to share some activities like work or leisure time or some workshops. And inmates there can start romantic relationships, though most prisons actually have rules against it. There's very few of them that actually allow it. So the research question here is, if we want incarceration to be helpful for rehabilitation, is it logical to deprive inmates of these sexual and romantic relationships? And so they, they go into some, some literature. They find that emotional loneliness arises from this emotional isolation where people have these lack of close emotional attachment relationships in prison. And so we can meet people's interpersonal needs if we do give them some kind of romantic relationships. And with inmates' relationships, the most common relationship status for inmates is not having a romantic or marital partner. Would you have guessed that?
1: Absolutely not. <laughs> because this so, is another trick question, of, isn't it?
0: <laughs> oh no, I'm done with the trick questions, Wait, but no, you, you are correct. Um, inmate's rate of marriage is about 15, 18%. And divorce is very common for people who Absolutely. are married before incarceration.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Which we can understand why.
0: <laughs> oh, for sure. And it, it's, it's visitation is hard and yeah. the, the frequency of contact itself is hard. You have to make phone calls Uh, trying to make family visits in places that even do allow conjugal visits. These are all seen as positive and helpful for the inmate and their partner. It's just, there's so many restrictions on it that it's, it's hard to break through.
1: I mean, think about it. If we just take marriage for those people that are living in free society, and we know that what drives up the rate of divorce to that wonderful oh half of all marriages end a divorce it's those serial marriers um <laughs> that are getting married two three four five times um it's uh it's just uh you know if it's that hard in free society you know it's going to be even more difficult to keep a marriage together while somebody's locked up that's that's really tough
0: Oh, absolutely Like there's a lot of work that goes into marriages for people and communication is such a key aspect, but being unable to communicate with your partner more than 90, 95% of the time would, I'm sure that puts a real strain on people. And so prisons are typically reluctant to allow any kind of heterosexual relationships between inmates. And it's, it's in large part because they focus on potential negatives any kind of coercion that would go into the relationship or gender violence or, or uh, sexually transmitted diseases than any kind of potential positives like, like lowering people's levels of loneliness or giving them higher satisfaction and well-being. And in past studies, we see that if we're looking at the presence or absence of a marital partner, it's, it's strongly correlated to high or low emotional loneliness. So having a romantic partner there's a high correlation to an emotional satisfaction and having a romantic partner typically protects against loneliness and sexual dissatisfaction. Yeah. You, f- you figure you got to have that partner around. So you're not lonely. Although boy, I, it's fun
1: meeting people who are just like, yeah, I'm married, but I just can't be around my spouse. <laughs> you know, they just, I, I, need, <laughs> I need, I need to be away from them to make this work. Um,
0: and... <laughs> yeah, I got arrested to to make make my marriage work better. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Um
1: yeah. It's you you can understand why it's so damn difficult. It's uh, it's it's tough anyways getting two people to compromise and work with each other, and then um, when when you're you're apart all the time, it makes it that much
0: worse. Absolutely. So we we find in past studies though that being married in prison has been associated with poor mental health. Married inmates, as I said, they're a minority in prison. Um, They face greater stigma from being incarcerated and they have to handle this physical separation and this decreased support. They still desire support, they're just not receiving as much support as they might want. And so when we look at a sample of incarcerated young male offenders, they find that when they receive less practical or less emotional support from their girlfriends, it's related to difficulties with their mental health. And the pathways for support might be like letters, phone calls, home furloughs, and visits. And so when those fall off, that affects people and that affects mental health. So it's a double-edged sword. Like the close, close romantic relationships can be this source of positive feelings, or it can be a source of strain for many people.
1: Yeah, and you know, whenever, whenever we have uh, you know any types of relationships that aren't going well, of course it's going to. Where on individual's mental health. And then obviously with inmates, they're not getting mental health treatment that they, that they might need. And there's not a counselor available, you know, like, like they would need if, for people in free society to go to you know, weekly or monthly so that they can discuss or vent or get some guidance on, you know, how to work things out with their significant other. And, uh, so that just builds that stress and the anxiety up while they're incarcerated.
0: Certainly. And you might look to other inmates for advice and maybe other people around you don't necessarily have the healthiest relationships. And on top of that, there's these prison norms that would more often than not prohibit sharing of a emotion and sharing of vulnerable feelings. So you might feel like you're, you're trapped. You, you don't have this outlet to to express your frustration in your relationships because other people while even though other people are experiencing it and it might be a more common thing making yourself vulnerable is just harder to do. And and the other thing that goes along with that is, you know,
1: obviously the key being communication. We're we're not going to we're not we're not going to classify those people that are incarcerated as the best at communicating with others, which sometimes explains why why they are where they're at because you know, rather being able to talk through a situation, maybe they got into a little bit of a rage and things turned physical. Um, and it could be with that significant other, um, making it even more difficult, um, for them to communicate because there's already, you know, uh, a history or, um, some past issues for them. So yeah, it's, 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 uh, you know, taking this population that doesn't have the resources, it's not going to get counseling or treatment on how to work through situations. It's tough.
0: So the authors of this study actually suggest that romantic relationships with other inmates could be positive in a way. There's less physical separation. There's potentially more frequency of contact. If we're both trapped in this prison, we're both here, maybe it could be helpful to have some kind of relationship that's more mutual. The hard part is it's really hard to detect coercion. And when that would be in place in a romantic relationship, and to monitor, like to make sure that there's no violence going on in the relationship, anything like that. But outside of prison, we do find, research finds that having a partner can have a positive effect on well-being, depending on the the quality of the relationship, but married people and cohabitors often have better health, better psychological well-being, life satisfaction, and quality of life. So the study finds that short-term inmates, people who were there for less than two years, they showed more general loneliness. And inmates with less total time in prison had more social loneliness. And the aging inmates, though, the people who were the, the long-timers, they had a higher probability of having a confidant in prison.
1: A confidant. I, we, need, we, need, we need more confidants in, in society. You know, yeah, we, we do.
0: Hey, I, I've got like, you two. Who else yeah. do I need?
1: Well, that—that's oh, my really, wife, Yes, you are just screwed. But it's if we're your confidants. <laughs> but you know, we're gonna look at things. As, you know, an inmate mentor. I like that. You know, having a inmate mentor. But I have seen uh, at most institutions. You know, when you arrive at a when you leave the uh, classification. Um, institution in each state and what happened when you go there from jail, you go to a classification center normally and they classify and make sure you're going to an appropriate level institution. Once you get to that institution, they all have some type of inmate orientation to welcome you to the institution, learn the rules of the institution. Um, I have seen some that are run by inmates and those seem to be far more effective than the ones that are run by staff. Because obviously, if the staff gives you an, or, an orientation, it's going to be, here are the rules, follow the rules. And that's, that's about it, where the inmate orientation, here are the unwritten rules, here's how things happen, here's how you keep yourself out of trouble, here's what you need to do to make your time here a little bit easier, more productive, you know, here's what to look out for. Um, so it's, uh, it, it's something that uh, I wish more Department of Corrections would institute. Because you know it, it's a it's a fantastic program, and you know gives some inmates an opportunity to give back to individuals, um, and that they uh, they're they're teaching folks how to how to you know do their time a little bit easier.
0: Yeah, I I like that a lot actually. Having somebody who's been there, especially taking an older inmate, taking somebody who knows what the system looks like, and taking somebody under their wing to not necessarily teach them like crime or anything like that, but teach them about, hey, here, here are the rules and here are the unwritten rules. And the Suffolk County House of Correction uses something called the Peace Unit, which they, they got the idea from Connecticut prisons and Sheriff Tompkins of Suffolk County actually went to Germany, I believe, and toured some prisons there. And it's, it's an interesting model where it's It's like an intensive unit. They only take young men and a handful of older men. And they they pair the young men with the older men as a mentorship program to help them get through their stay in in jail or or prison. It's a weird house of correction model there where it's the maximum sentence is two and a half years. But what they do is it's programs running all the time. They actually have like big screen TVs and a PS5 or PS4 in, in the unit. So the guys can hang out and play games. And it is more laid back than almost any other unit I've seen. And we see people coming through with successes. Like they, they did a news story a while back where one young man is getting out and he had worked his way into a scholarship. So he's able to go back to college and do what he wants to do and try and put crime behind him why don't we have more of that? That's an awesome idea.
1: Right. Well, we know why we don't have more than that. Cause America doesn't like that. We want to see, you know, people want to see individuals punished. They like punitive measures and the more, the more harsh we can be, the, the more they're happy. Cause, and, but you know, obviously we want to keep it hidden. They don't want to see it. So something like this, that is um, maybe costs a little bit more to do is a little bit progressive. America doesn't like that. that I mean, we, we need to get to a point where, um, We're educating enough Americans to understand that most of these individuals are coming back in society and here's a program that works. Um, You know, it's for some reason, Americans don't seem to have a problem with dog pilot programs. I think they see the benefit to the dogs, So they're like, all right, we'll accept this. But when it comes to almost any other program other than learn to read and GED, it's hard to convince them to support something like this.
0: Yeah, you're, you're certainly right. Even though it it can go such a long way in reframing somebody's life yeah. and getting them out of a life of crime. If we want to really address the crime problem, address the roots of the crime problem. Right. Like lack of education, lack of opportunity structure. And so many people aren't supporting that because they're they're reframing people growing up in disadvantage as people who are undeserving. Maybe right. people are committing crimes because they, they don't have the same opportunities and they don't have the same skills because they're not taught that. They don't have the same education. And so they, they get framed as undeserving after they commit a crime, even though they're just people. That sucks. Yeah. Not a Definitely. great system. No, it's not. It's not. So let's, let's roll back to the study. We got 140 inmates, 70 men, 70 women. They're aged between 20 and 62. And... 42% had no partner. 15% had a partner outside of prison. 43 had a partner inside the same prison. And so they did interviews with each participant uh, that were 60 to 90 minutes for the first interview and then 30 minutes for a second interview. The findings show that women had more partners inside the prison. The majority of men had no partner, but more men had a partner outside of the prison than women did. And the findings show that gender... Relationship status, neither of those successfully predict loneliness, general health, or physical health. That's But gender ends up being a more important predictor of social loneliness and the quality of social relationships than having a partner status at all. Partner status is this significant predictor here, though. It's a predictor of romantic loneliness, sexual satisfaction, quality of life, psychological health, and how you feel about your environment.
1: I, well I, I don't know that uh, <clears throat> the inmates are gonna feel all that good about their environment no matter what um, but yeah we could see how it how it might reduce the the pains of imprisonment a little bit right um, it's uh having having yeah. some partner um, but you know you, you can kind of understand you know it makes sense that the female inmates have more partners you know for the male inmates and being in this um, you know this this tough environment where f- being physical and, you know, um, putting on that guise that they're tough. Um, just they, if in any way they let that down and, and even just to talk to people or show emotion in any way see, is seen as weakness. Um, and you can understand why, why the male inmates do not bond with one another, um, to, to talk or, um, or to have friends. I mean, and, I, you know, same thing goes on in free society, right? Men don't have the same type of friendships, um, that, that women have, you know, they're just, you know, men have buddies, right? They don't have friends. They have people that they'll go golfing with, but they don't open up to them and say, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm experiencing this. Whereas women will be far more open with their friends and and far more revealing and and trusting. Um, so this makes complete sense, even, even over in, in Spain, (laughs)
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I forget the, the text or article I, I read this from, but when I used to read a lot of gender lit working on my dissertation years ago, in a couple of sources, it would say essentially what you're saying, where, where men usually build their friendships around more structured activities. We're going to hang out and talk about cars, or we're going to watch the game, or we're going golfing, uh, whereas uh, women's relationships don't have as much of that, and there is more like emotionally vulnerable and revealing content in there, uh, which can make for a richer bond. For yeah.
1: Say, you know, women's relationships are, 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 deeper and they're, they're real. Whereas men's, you know, if we call it friendships, um, they're, they're pretty superficial. Um, and, in terms of, you know, and a lot of it is, you know, a man's not going to turn to another man when, when the going gets tough, you know, cause that, again, that might show a sign of weakness You know, he can't, can't show emotion to other men. You know, it's one, one of the unwritten rules that men are supposed to live by. So, um, now you got to wonder about the impact of a, of, uh, of a show like Ted Lasso, which I know has nothing to do with prisons and relationship, but where you're, you're having a sport that throughout most of the world is, is the number one sport. And here's somebody coming in and the whole theme of, of him being a coach to these, you know, these guys that are supposed to be seen as very masculine as breaking down those hyper masculinized, uh, roles and, and stereotypes that they can't open up to other men, um, and and talk to them about, uh, you know, their, their feelings or whatever. It's, uh, you're gonna wonder if maybe that's gonna, you know, lead to some type of change in the future, at least in, in certain pockets
0: of the world. I have to hope so, and like getting rid of this stereotypical. It, it it's all a product of culture and social construction, where we're subject to these these stereotypical sex roles that we have imposed on us, and it, it's it's all bullshit though. You peek behind the curtain, you realize, oh, it's it it's all made up. Uh, okay, so we can actually act however we want to act with people, and we shouldn't actually hold ourselves accountable to. Oh, we're just going to sit around and talk about cars and nothing deeper. I, I, I can't handle something like that. You get a much more fulfilling relationship yeah, out of it.
1: Absolutely. Because my, my depth of knowledge of cars isn't, isn't all that great. I can tell you if it has four wheels or not. And so <laughs> <laughs> and even then I might be wrong from time to time. <laughs> That's so not a you, wheel, Eric. No. <laughs> but you can understand why this is this is so tough for, for inmates. Um, you know if you think about the world where they came from for, for many of them um, again, they come from you know hypersexualized worlds where they are supposed to dominate everything in life whether it's you know females in terms of sexual partners or you know not letting another male um, inch inch in on whatever it might be whether or not they're moving drugs or um, if they're getting into fights or assaulting one another if they're if they're thieves it you know, men or other are, are threats to them um you know it's I, I read something recently that that I thought was interesting and you know um, there was some type of it was some type of book on uh, on parenting and of course you know because'm i I'm horrible at everything in life but I'm trying to work on the parenting thing and you know i one of the things I, i'm i'm you know I, I can now convey to my kiddos is that Understanding that their father is the only male in their life who ever wants them to be better than themselves, so it makes sense that no other man is going to look at another man and say, "Yes, they're better than me." I want them to be better than me. You know, fathers do that with their sons, and that's the only male they do it to. It was a very interesting piece that that I really saw that about, and it's you know goes into you know, as being so competitive with one another and always wanting to one-up one another. Um, And, you know, that's just, I think, for inmates and the individuals um, that live in tough environments where that image is so important because they don't have something else going on, um, they don't have a stake in conformity, um, that just really rings out to be true, that no one's better than me and I will always be tougher and willing to prove that I'm tougher. That is
0: a really interesting insight. And as a sporto, do you see that like team sports or even more individualized sports? Do you see that it accentuates that even further for children? Yeah,
1: yeah I would think so. It's, uh, with uh, with with males, with I, I don't see that at all with females. And they, you know when been around college athletes all these years, you know, from the time that I, when I played in college, all the way up till now and working with the college, with the athletes here in division three, one of the, one of the easiest ways to detect this is when you ask male and female athletes about their teammates, you know, a specific teammate. And it's very common for the female athletes to talk about how, you know, Something positive about the teammate and what they bring to the team, you know. So they talk about whoever it might be, and they say, "Okay, yeah, they fit in. They've played this role. They're really good." It's very common for the male athletes to tell you something back about how awful they are and how they. Oh, I wonder how they made the team. I can't believe they're they're you know they're a collegiate athlete or something. Uh, uh, you know, I can't believe they're starting in front of me. I don't know what's wrong with the coach. Um, it, it's, it's quite different. There's a whole lot of negativity and tearing each other down, um, when you compare it to the, to the female athletes. And so you figure be very similar, um, in a world where, you know, with, with the criminals, with inmates, where they are, you know, where they are focused on survival, and you know, trying to make the most out of that situ- a very negative situation, a tough situation, um, that there are a lot of parallels there, I think.
0: Yeah, I, that is a really interesting insight. So to finish off the study, they find that inmates with a partner inside of prison, they displayed lower levels of romantic loneliness and higher levels of sexual satisfaction, quality of life, psychological health and environmental health than inmates with no partner or inmates who had a partner on the outside. Furthermore, inmates with a partner on the outside actually showed lower levels of romantic loneliness than inmates who had no partner at all. Now, some suggestions, the policy implications that, that come along with this. I wanna see what you think about this. They, they find that inmates with partners inside prison, maybe they should share more activities other than just conjugal visits. They say there should also be more conjugal visits, longer conjugal visits, and inmates with a partner on the outside, it's helpful for them to be geographically closer to their partner, and they also advocate for more and longer conjugal visits and more access to furloughs and advancements in parole. For inmates without a partner, it's suggested they have more time and shared activities with inmates of the opposite sex and access to conjugal visits with potentially available inmates of the opposite sex. They advocate for inmates with a partner to have more contact with their partners essentially and inmates without a partner to have more possibilities to find one what do you think about that
1: i would say yes yes and yes to to all that i mean it's, it makes sense we're we're humanizing the inmates and allowing i mean we're social beings and when we lock someone up it's you know um, you know for individuals who think that You know this this idea of club fed the federal prison that's supposedly a a, you know a a club where people get to hang out and things aren't tough. They I have yet to see that prison. I don't know if you've been there. Um, All the all prisons are tough. All prisons have nervous inmates walking around, and you know the biggest thing the punishment is the loss of freedom and isolation and so anything that we can do to help return them to normalcy is positive and all those things are are an attempt to bring them back reintegrate them in society re-socialize them to to the world they're hopefully going to go you know you know reintegrate with soon um yeah so i'm 100 in 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 this corner of these policy implications now i know they're tough and i know um, they cost money, but man, they're, they're
0: worth it They're worth it. Certainly. And we would need adequate protections, of course, to make sure that nobody's being coerced and that everything right. is right. consensual as, as much as, uh, we, we possibly can, can implement there. But when somebody goes to prison, they are effectively pushing pause on their entire life. It's, they're not just dying a civil death where they, they don't matter to the the outside world in terms of like, uh, politics or economy or any of that but it's also it's the death of, of many relationships in their life especially if this is a longer sentence and it may inhibit people's ability to establish some kind of meaningful romantic relationship for their entire lifetime and I don't know that we should be depriving people of that because maybe they meet somebody who makes them better maybe we for example it, when you're in a good relationship, part of for me knowing i'm in a healthy relationship is finding a partner who makes you want to be a better person. Right.
1: Why, why not encourage
0: inmates like that? Absolutely.
1: 100% agree that someone wants you to be better at anything in life that encourages you to, to do it. You know, so not only do they make you want to be better but they encourage you to do those things and to seek out things that are going to make you feel better about yourself and you know be better for society whatever it might be. But yeah, that's that's an excellent point and I think, you know, something like that where we can allow those types of relationships for the, for the, for inmates. Again, it's this, you know, another positive side, um, to, to them having, you know, access to relationships, which I know is, it sounds weird, but that's, uh, that's what really what we're talking about here is, you know, <laughs> we're taking away an
0: access to, to have a relationship with someone, um, yeah, why, why cut people off from opportunities that, that could make them want to be better and act more responsibly, act not just with their own well being in mind, but with somebody else's well being in mind? That we, we hear about these turning points in terms of life course theory. And one of the big turning points that turns people away from a life of crime can be marriage and this, this meaningful romantic relationship. And it's about the quality of marriage. It's not just that you're married and that stops you from wanting to commit crime, but the, the quality of marriage. And if you end up in a quality relationship, you become less likely to commit crime because you have this opportunity cost of this person who, who might not want to stick around if you're in prison. Now, if, if both people, both parties are in prison and both parties are trying to work on themselves, maybe, maybe there's something to that. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It-
1: it would be great if they, they could stay together, but I mean, hell, it's like I said earlier, it's hard enough on the outside. I can't imagine, um, you know, how hard it is for individuals while they're locked up to keep that marriage together, but it sure would be positive for the inmate if somebody did stick around from when they do reenter society to know that they were going back to a, a healthy relationship or a relationship where it has the possibility of, of building positive, um, aspects in their life. uh...
0: Indeed. So let's move on to our next study by Beeren colleagues from 2007, which examines the effect of relationships on female offenders, well-being and behavior while they're incarcerated. This study examines 211 adult female inmates from a Midwestern DOC that's unidentified. And they find that female inmates experience more isolation from the outside world than male inmates and childcare ends up being such a a significant source of stress while imprisoned. It's something like 75% of female offenders are mothers, and often they're going to be the primary caretakers of minor children. Women who are serving longer sentences often have a harder time adjusting than women serving shorter sentences. And 64% of female inmates surveyed in a different study than this one are were actually found to be in clinical range for some sort of diagnosable mental health problem. The, the lack of social support also weighs on them continuing to be an issue during and after incarceration, leading to some obstacles in reintegration and reestablishing relationships and social connections. So what this looks at is it looks at relationships within the prison with other inmates and relationships with people outside of the prison, like family. And among the relationships within the prison They find that these pseudo-families take place more often in women's prisons, which include female inmates each taking on a different role from a traditional family, like one one inmate will take the role of a mother, one will be like an aunt, a child, that kind of thing. It's less common now than it has been in the past in contemporary facilities, and the study suggests this could be in part due to increased communication outside of the prison. Uh, there's more phone calls, more visitation available, that kind of thing. As far as sexual relationships among female inmates, uh, we see different levels of relationships based on the level of sexual interaction. So none at all, up to overt sexual acts. Um, they found that the the inmates more likely to engage in same sex sexual behavior were younger, serving longer sentences, and some inmates with prior same sex sexual experiences. And the study suggests that younger inmates and those serving longer sentences may have a higher need for attachment and a higher need for emotional support from someone else in the prison. Now, when examining relationships with people outside of prison, the study suggests that these lead female inmates to be less adjusted within their incarceration, more depressed than they would be without these relationships.
1: (laughs) I need to read back on that. Did you say it makes them more depressed if they're in relationships?
0: if they're in relationships with somebody outside of prison. Okay. Okay. So that makes, so like I talked about in the the last study. Yeah. Because you, you've got this relationship and you talk to male inmates and, and you hear the same thing where there's such a distrust in their partner or so many of them will hang on to a partner that, that they're not even that into because it, it's a security blanket and that's absolutely the wrong reason to be in a relationship. But there are, afraid of this loneliness yeah that that makes
1: sense i i that, i understand yeah okay when you first said that they're they're more stressed more depressed if they're in a relationship huh. but that makes sense to me now although i'm sure if you asked my wife if she was locked up she'd be a lot happier <laughs>
0: Maybe lock up Bronson. Yeah, exactly. Lock him up. Yeah,
1: she she chants that on a daily basis. Lock him up. Lock you wake him up to that. Up. Yeah. <laughs> and I just I'm glad I can hear the chant because you know I didn't get shanked in my sleep.
0: <laughs> we should mention that Bronson lives in a prison. Yeah. <laughs> So inmates in romantic relationships are likely to experience increased anger, hostility, and infractions while incarcerated. And inmates in same-sex relationships are often younger and serve more time than those in opposite-sex relationships. Uh, But same-sex relationships within the prison are associated with poor well-being and behavior. And they... They speculate this could be due to judgment from society. It's against prison rules due to violations of the Prison Rape Elimination Act. Yep. So if they get reported, they could be in real trouble. And so they have to keep it a secret. They have to keep these same-sex relationships a secret, which can be stressful on people.
1: Well, isn't it You know, any sexual act whatsoever? They're illegal in all institutions for the most part. I mean, I I think as far as I know, most, most prisons that you're, you're you know, you can if you're caught masturbating you can be written up for that um so not that not that the write-ups occur but you can be so if you're if you're on the wrong side of a correctional staff member they they would write you up for it but generally they just let it go because for the most part, you're not hurting anybody else, so um, you figure. Yeah, any...
0: unless you're doing something weird, like staring at somebody while you're doing it,
1: right? Yeah, yeah. Well, we've we've seen that too <laughs> around count time, and you go by and look in a cell, and someone's someone's waiting for you to, you know, see your eyeballs in the window at the cell door.
0: Now. In terms of the implications of the study, um, it finds that relationships can be a source of stress for female inmates, and this should be factored in during intake interviews for mental health, looking at looking at concerns of well-being. Essentially, there's more research. Oh, great! Uh, there's more research that's needed on female inmate sexual orientation and development of identity and their same-sex relationships, and how their relationships are associated with well-being and institutional behaviors overall. Now, let's get to the meat of it. This one is the study. Vladu and colleagues from 2020, Benefits and Risks of Conjugal Visits in Prison, a Systematic Literature Review. They reviewed 17 papers from 12 different studies. All but three of them were from North America. They're essentially looking at the effects of conjugal visits on mental health and well-being. And defining conjugal visits, it's, adult prisoners whose partner is not incarcerated, and they're given private visits where sexual intercourse is possible. Now, we know that this is not allowed in U.S. federal prisons. This right was first allowed in Mississippi, where conjugal visits, the, the right to have conjugal visits for inmates, ended in 2014. We only have four states that still have potential for conjugal visits. It's California, Connecticut, New York, and Washington. Now, we we talk about conjugal visits as a thing... Like, we think that in, in the, the popular culture it seems like they're more widespread possibly due to the influence of office space mentioning conjugal visits but they're, they're really pretty restricted if only four states are doing it right
1: no I think it's I think it's a pop culture topic you know people like to joke about it I you know for for folks that are you know that like to talk about um, you know sexual acts and, and inmates um, you know it's always a fun topic fun joke you hear comedians talking about it all the time right they're always making jokes about you know things going on in prison and uh it uh you know it's they're so rare so it's amazing that they're so popular you know in in society that everyone everyone knows what the hell you're or has an idea about what you're talking about when you say it
0: um even though they're, they are so rare. So they're so rare now. But some, some of the results here are pretty interesting. Uh, one study found that prisoners who had access to conjugal visits felt closer with both their wives and their children than prisoners who did not. Often it will be like there will be a trailer on prison property and like you're allowed to have like a weekend visit from your spouse and child. Another study found that conjugal visits are actually associated with a decrease in reported rape and sexual assault in prisons and this is found in the states that permitted conjugal visits it also improves inmates well-being their marital relationships their institutional behaviors and their post-release success how are you feeling about conjugal visits so far based on these results
1: i, I as i as i said it, I, it it humanizes folks you know it it keeps them in touch with society and reminds them that there are things that aren't you know concrete walls and and, and steal frames around them at all times and that it is possible to be connecting with someone from the outside and stay connected with them or know that they are going back to someone who, who is still connected with them when they reenter society. Uh, they're, you know, they're used for t- useful tools for the administration as well because they can help, you know, it, it's something that they can, you know, dangle out in front of the inmates as a, as a privilege. You know, I know we had, when I was working in Kentucky, we had furloughs and that was one of the things we would remind the inmates, Hey, you got a furlough coming up. Let's make sure you're, you know, not getting in any trouble. And it, you know, generally the inmates who were up for them got them, um, because they were behaving. Um, so you know, and obviously those were generally reserved to people who were getting closer to, to release, but it was a great thing for, for them to be reintroduced to society.
0: Absolutely. So it, it's not all sunshine and roses. There are some studies that find no effect, though, too. Uh, one study initially finds a positive relationship to family stability and negative relationship to prison violence. And then there's a later study using the same data that actually finds no relationship between conjugal visits and violence. But we did find at least that self-reported family stability is higher with conjugal visits in the study. And there's another study that states maybe visitation is meaningless and it's not beneficial due to the circumstance in which it takes place, which no matter what, you are still in the context of the prison. People are on prison grounds. You are still under the watchful eye of the state who's standing right outside that trailer monitoring. And so people might feel on edge and people might not feel like they can bond as well during yeah, those times.
1: You could, I, you could see how they get the idea that it's kind of artificial um, in, in terms of, you know, the time that they have with each other and being monitored. And so it might not be a very productive time with each other. Um, you know, they don't feel like they're very free and things... Um, you know, if you if you feel like you're being monitored, you're not going to be as as open or natural with with the folks that are visiting you. So, you know, and they might feel like they have cameras on them, so they might not open up and, and have you know deep meaningful conversations.
0: Sure. Now, if if we're looking at attitudes, staff attitudes were only studied in the United States, but it should be noted that. People working in prisons with conjugal visits, the staff, tend to be more favorable towards the potential for conjugal visits. Prisoners' attitudes were also mostly positive, but there was some concerns in California about prisons using the visits to control inmates' institutional behavior. One of those, you better be good or else we're going to yank this privilege from you. Yeah. Yeah. That
1: That's the problem with any of the... With any privilege is that they, it gets dangled, but... Um and inmates feel like they can't be free, but
0: um so yeah on the whole, the study finds that conjugal visits have these modest positive effects for health and for behavior, and also reduces assaultive behaviors within the prisons. We also find that there's benefits for society as well when family cohesion is supported. And the societal benefits are likely through like reintegration processes from like keeping these families together while somebody is incarcerated. There's little evidence of negative effects. One negative effect that's potentially there that the authors recognize is that partners may feel coerced into these visits and it can be overwhelming for some yeah. people at times because it can make the relationship itself feel institutionalized. Right. Like if, if the primary in-person relationship I'm having is on that trailer on Prison Grounds. Maybe it, like we were talking about a moment ago, it, it feels like we're in the watchful eye of Johnny right. Law, and that's that's not great on my relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I think
1: you got to... I've realized this, this think about this relationship. So for, you know, cause generally we're speaking about men who are locked up in the, in the, in their, their partners on the outside. You know, if we have the average relationship with a female on the outside, you know, if, if that is an opportunity for the male inmate to have a conjugal visit, the the amount of pressure that inmate will put on that woman to come in to have that conjugal visit has to be overwhelming. And so at that point, they could feel like it was a negative experience for them.
0: Yeah. And it, it opens the, the, the conversation more up to like consent and coercion. And that's, that's not great because it, it is taking place under these, these contexts where everything is forced to some degree. Yeah. So that, that can be, I'm sure that's a strain on people's relationships too. Um, yeah. Interestingly, there's a lack of research on conjugal visits from other continents outside of North America, despite its support in more widespread use. Europe itself views conjugal visits more from this like rights-based perspective. It's, it's seen as like an inmate right rather than a privilege or a means to control behavior, but we just don't see very much research on it coming out of Europe.
1: That That's really interesting. But it can be they, helpful.
0: They, they see it as a right, you know, that,
1: you know, relation you have a right to your relationship and, and, you know, some type of, and trying to maintain that relationship. That's very interesting. Um, Especially coming you know, in in a lot of Europe, they have, you know, well, not a a lot, you know, several places in Europe, they have much higher rates of divorce than the United States. And so you figure um, maybe they're just trying to keep these people together, you know, as a last ditch to keep their divorce rates lower. But um, it, it could also be that, you know, these other countries are just far more community based than we are and not as punitive, uh, you know, as the United States, which is what I would lean towards. They just, you know, they, they really see them as as human.
0: See them as human. They give them more autonomy. They're actually thinking about the lives of the person once they're, once they're out of prison and how prison is going to affect their lives. And that's, that's awesome. At, At least, like as awesome as prison is going to get. And we do have some more forward thinking prisons in the United States, but it's more pockets rather than we can speak about the prison system as a whole. And so the the idea of conjugal visits, uh, the article sums it up saying it can be useful to rehabilitation and reintegration rather than a means of control. And it can also help reduce generational imprisonment. There's also some benefits and detriments for the visiting partner themselves. Imprisonment, and the process of imprisonment can take a toll on the family and on the partner of the inmate. And it can be detrimental due to travel. When you go into the prison, there's going to be a lot of personal searches or if the relationship itself is toxic, that's, that's tough. And there, we don't have those contexts in the prisons to tell us like how, how toxic a relationship is or isn't. And we need more research about the safety and well-being of partners involved. But staff attitudes are also very important and should be subjected to further research. Staff are often more accepting when they are working in a prison where conjugal visits are already allowed, and they, they might in part have these positive attitudes, they speculate, due to the decrease in sexual violence in these prisons. Prisons with conjugal visits also, just on the whole, they have better disciplinary records, which I'm, I'm all for that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. We got to keep
1: try, you know, keeping those records is extremely important. (laughs) So, yeah, Yeah,
0: absolutely. Uh, One, one last article I'd like to touch on Keller from 2017 wrote something called how to have a jail wedding in three minutes. There's a lot of obstacles to get a marriage license for incarcerated people you have to have a ceremony. It's non-negotiable. You can't just have people sign off on a thing. You have to have a ceremony and it's often very short. Once the ceremony is over, the inmate has to return to their cells. They don't really get time with their new spouse. It is perfunctory, but they're still forced to go through these robotic motions, even though that might not be what people desire. Yeah. And they don't really get the time together. So, I don't know. The whole thing sounds a little rough to me, and maybe that needs to be hammered out and given a little more thought.
1: It's... uh, uh, When I was in Texas, um, we had uh, a guest speaker at one of my classes who um, she met her husband uh, through a pen pal service. He was on death row. Um, They... They, they corresponded back and forth for a while and then, um, then they got married in, in, in one of those very short services, like you mentioned. Um, but they had spent a total of, I think she said like 28 minutes or 30 minutes together in person, um, at, at different points. So because he was on death row, they couldn't have in person, uh, normal in person visitation, uh, in Texas, um. They were only allowed to do the, you know, kind of like that weird teleconference, where um, they they video conference the real low quality screenshots or, or, or uh, images of each other, and then talk talk uh, on the phone to each other. But it was uh, it was very interesting to, to listen to them talk about the how little you know how little time they had. At all. And they had been married for several years. I think it was like six or seven years at that time. Um, I wish I still had her contact information so that I could, you know, you know, see if she wanted to join us. But, uh, yeah, she's one of those met, met him online. Um, and he had, you know, he's locked up for life and until he's executed.
0: Wow. It would be fascinating to hear her perspective and and yeah. hear about like what rights and privileges the prison actually actually offers. It's and it's it's such a losing proposition because you can't really make a life with this person that you're married to. You might love them, want the best for them, but you're so prohibited from from the get-go that It's hard to, it must be so hard to have a foundation on that.
1: So they, she actually wrote a book and it's entitled prisoners of love, a guide to, for anyone wanting to cultivate, let me, let me make sure I, I have the whole, the whole title correct prisoners of love, a guide for anyone wanting to cultivate. Maintain and strengthen relationships with loved ones during times of incarceration. Um, yeah,
0: yeah, that's, that's a, fascinating. I, I think this sounds like a future book report for the podcast from Eric Bronson.
1: Really? You gonna make him do some work?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, him, him is you. You know? <laughs> yeah, me too. I gotta
2: make a theme song for a book review now.
0: Yeah. Um, oh, I've actually got a, a book review coming
2: next time around. Okay.
0: Oh.
2: Theme song for uh? Do we do we have a name for the segment? Um, oh boy. Book minute. <laughs> book. Minute. <laughs> <laughs>
1: how, how about uh, you know? Um, boy, I don't know. Something relating to the library at the at an institution. Um. um
2: Lockup library,
1: yeah. There we go. I uh, like that yeah.
2: library lockup library. Lockup lock yeah. library, that, or library lockup.
0: Yeah. Uh, hmm. Library lockup. How about library lockdown?
2: Okay. Yeah. Like, library lockdowns. Lock up or down? Hmm. <laughs> Something to think about. We'll we'll discuss yes. it after the podcast. Yes. yeah Sorry to interrupt.
1: Well, no, no, and you're the no, creative. No, no. You're the creative juices in this show, so we we're going to rely heavily on you to come up with something.
2: All right, I'll I'll figure something out. Library lockdown. Get your juice out there.
1: Yeah, exactly. You
2: know, I, for,
1: those us, for those of us who are old, juices are gone. So My,
2: my juice is everywhere. So. <laughs>
1: don't,
2: don't, don't talk like that. We're not that kind of podcast. <laughs> no, wait,
1: I thought we were changing our rating, damn it. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> we're not that kind of podcast. Yeah.
0: All right, that's all I've got. That's the report. Hopefully, everyone feels a little more educated on romantic relationships in prisons. I think it's time to move on to Movie, minutes. Minutes, so that minutes, movie minutes, Minute. Minutes, minute. Movie Minute. Minutes, minute. Minutes, minute. Minutes. Minute. Movie, movie,
2: minute. Movie, movie, minute. 60 seconds with producer Britt to talk about movies. All right. Today we have Caged Heat 3000 from 1995. And I think because it's the third of three films, I might need three movie minutes for this one here we go put 180 seconds on the clock caged Heat
1: from
2: 1995 like its predecessor caged heat 2 from 1994 has no connection to the prior films except all three take place in a women's prison well (laughs) cool there are both a women and men's facility here in the future in the year 3000 AD we have electric chairs for boobs, pretty sh- solid shower scenes, some great zoom shots and once again a women's prison only populated by softcore porn actresses led by actress, <laughs> I've heard of Lisa Boyle who is surprisingly both a serviceable lead and also very pleasant to look at. This movie shocked me occasionally, mostly with the use of the hard N-word from white people in a way I really hope doesn't still exist in a thousand years. (laughs) Other than that, you have some fun violence, hazing, some decent fight scenes, a warden bent on subjugation, and a very weird prison administrator with deep sexual perversions, both of whom made some fabulous acting decisions that kept their performances very watchable. Now, what sets this caged heat apart from its prequels is that filmmaker Aaron Osborne, only responsible for one other film ever, which was *Craw*, the sea monster from Full Moon Pictures, he he absolutely understands how to make an exploitation film. How? By exploiting things. This movie has by far the most nudity, violence, humor, (laughs) sleaze, and perhaps most importantly shower scenes of any of the (laughs) (laughs) It honestly felt like the first time the franchise really delivered on its premise and its promise. This is the best Caged Heat film, and honestly, probably the best film in the women-in-prison genre that I've seen, at least. I'm glad I stuck to the trilogy, if only to see Caged Heat 3000. It rocks three (laughs) and a half soups. (laughs) nice three and a half
0: wow that's incredible so i have a couple of questions
1: well that's our highest rating yet that's our highest rating yet for any Uh, movie that's impressive
2: no i had a good time i had a a real good time last night watching this one
0: (laughs) i have two questions for you first can you tell us more about the electric chairs for boobs How does that work? Oh my
2: gosh! So there's there's just a scene where they have uh, the the main girl. I think her name's Kira. um, Like she's like being tortured by this perverted like prison administrator, and he has her hooked up to like this kind of electric chair thing. But it's like an electric chair bikini, so she has like these like like a chastity belt kind of (laughs) underwear. You know, like the chastity belt from Robin Hood Men in Tights. It kind of looks like that. And then on top of her boobs are like the housings for two floodlights with like the wires ripped out and around her. That's that's like the electric chair (laughs) boobs and she gets shocked and it like Uh. shocks her boobs and it goes (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, next question. (laughs) <laughs>
0: yeah second question how does the year 3000 so it takes place in the year 3000 how does the year 3000 figure into the film
2: so it it does take place in the year 3000 so it takes place on like a in a space prison colony um and um, then the, the prison warden is running to be like the president of like the, the, the galaxy or some shit like that and so <laughs> he's trying to make his prison look really really good and stuff um yeah it's uh so I, I think it takes place in the year 3000, but also at the same time, I want to say there was a line in the film where, uh, a girl's like, yeah, locked up for 20 years, get out in 2198 or some, something like that. And I was like, wait, wait, what? And I just chose to ignore it. Um, <laughs> okay. So yeah, I, uh, you know, it, it's, it is like a sci-fi adventure. It does take place like in space technically, although that doesn't really play into the plot very much. Um,
0: Yeah, it was was just a
2: nice, fun, sci-fi kind of cyberpunk take on the women in prison genre. And it was like so absurd and silly and violent and like just like full of nudity that uh, after a while I was like, okay, I'm on board. Like this movie knows what it's doing. It knows exactly what it is and what it's supposed to be. Unlike the previous two films. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I'm so happy to hear now, that it, it ended because you you always hear that the second or third movie mm-hmm. are never as good as the original. But this is this is clearly the pinnacle of the of the Caged Heat series.
2: Right. Absolutely. Yeah. That's
1: fantastic.
2: <laughs> I love to hear so, that. So, except I've heard you know. I'm sorry. What? No, no, go for it. So, I professor. Beck, uh, Professor Beck, yep, that's right. (laughs) right. You just call me Beck. (laughs) No, Professor Beck, um, uh, uh, Professor Beck over here, uh, has told me uh, (laughs) that you, Judge Bronson, have (laughs) a movie sentence for me.
1: I do, I do, and this is this is coming off of a, uh, I guess you could say. Uh, a suggestion from one of my students who said that it's that it's awful, mm-hmm. and so um, you, you've been sentenced to watch and review the movie Rubber. Rubber. Uh, rubber.
2: This is rubber right? is a from rubber is a.
1: A homicidal car tire discovering it has destructive psionic power gets its sights on a desert town once a mysterious woman becomes its obsession. So a woman becomes the obsession of a car tire and K- Karina Longworth of LA Weekly <laughs> gave it a review and said it's batshit wonderful. So I'm sure you're going to have a great time. The trailer for it is absolutely hilarious. Um, it's rolling down the middle of the road. A police squad car comes up behind it, <laughs> and it turn it turns around as if it has eyeballs on that side of the tire, and then begin rolling again. I mean, this looks unbelievably ridiculous. So I hope you enjoy it as much as you enjoyed Cage T three thousand.
2: I, I hope so. No, too. judge.
0: He, he, this is a sentence. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Yes, yes.
1: You were supposed to suffer for the crime. <laughs> yeah, for the crime. For, of... for the
0: crime of enjoying caged heat. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> of so being our producer. The <laughs> reviews of this on Letterboxd. It looks like it's like pretty evenly tied between having like below two star reviews and four star reviews, which is wonderful. just the kind of movie I like.
1: Wonderful, wonderful. I am glad to hear it <laughs>
0: <laughs> well that's been movie minute and that's been the podcast thank you for listening please like rate give us five stars wait why, why would you not give us five stars like rate and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and share and share
2: don't forget people need to share they need to share with Tell others. your
0: friends yeah yes. talk, tell,
2: tell your yes. friends about this show uh word of mouth tell is the best way yeah podcast grows and so if you know, if you know a friend who might be interested in listen to this, they're interested in, uh, you know, carceral studies or yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> in general or crime, or uh, if they just want to skip forward to the best part of the podcast, movie minute, <laughs> <The> movie minute, <laughs> right. obviously, uh, movie if minute, still have a full download for listening to the last part of the podcast. Go for <laughs> yeah, it. Tell exactly.
1: We share that. it with share it with friends yeah. and, and family. You know your your grandmother will yeah. love it.
0: Ask your grandma if you can borrow her phone. Download it on her phone. She, right. she won't know the difference. Right.
1: And, and just she, she hit play. She listen to it. She won't hear it. Her hearing aid is turned off. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, grandma. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right, Eric, I think that's your line. It's my line. Is it our line? Are we saying it together? It, I think it's time for Lights, lights, out. Out, lights, lights
2: out, out. Lights Out. out.